The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, this is Swapbox. Let's get into your headlines. The Dow and the Nasdaq close at fresh record highs, but stocks across Asia trade mostly lower as investors wait on direction on the US-China trade talks. Sokgen posts a drop in third quarter profit, but the French bank says it is confident going forward despite an increasingly challenging European business environment. We're going to hear from the CEO, Frederick Udea, at 7.15 CET. Uh, analysts expect SoftBank Group to report its first quarterly loss in 14 years after bailing out WeWork last month. Whilst the JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon tells CNBC exclusively he's learned from the startup's botched IPO. There are lessons to be learned about these valuations, how you go public and how you treat the public shareholder, etc. And so those lessons should be learned by everybody who wants to go public. And wait for this, the German finance minister Olaf Scholz is calling on the EU to move forward with a banking union. Extraordinary coming from Berlin and says Berlin should back a block-wide deposit insurance scheme. And here at Web Summit, as competition floods the streaming industry, the CEO of Sky tells me subscription fatigue will be an ongoing challenge for businesses. We move much more rapidly into unbundling. Uh, typically, prices are something like 60 to 100 uh, percent lower here for an average bundle than we'd see in the States. But nonetheless, these are trends I think that are going to continue uh, for, the, for the long term. So, very warm welcome to the program this morning. We're going to focus on corporate results uh, for a wee while here because we've got a number of interesting companies that are reporting, not least SockGen, which delivered just before the top of the hour. So, the messaging from SockGen this morning this is uh, France's third largest bank here that weakness and in trading and the investment business has taken a bit of a bite out of performance here. The net profit line in at 854 million euros. Now, the uh, year ago period was 1.31 billion euros. So that shows you just the degree to which the bank is running off the uh, run rate that we saw a year ago here. The um, other numbers are not edifying either. If we just walk through these, the um, operating income 1.49 billion. Uh, the year ago period 1.93 billion as we work through the net banking income 5.98 billion as against 6.53 billion and we've just got a host of performance related figures that are just weaker than they were a year ago now it is worth pointing out that the capital levels are comfortable 12.5% on the common equity tier 1 ratio and they are confirming guidance in the retail business going forward but it's a very modest guidance between 0 and minus 1% for the year here the bank argues that uh, it has delivered a solid performance in uh, structured finance and in terms of uh, transaction banking where fee income is um, is important 
But ultimately, lower revenues in global markets and investment banking have taken a bite here. Now, the interesting question for me on this story, uh, uh, I know you're pouring through the SoftBank at the moment, but the no, interesting question is, well, there's a lot of analysts that we've had through here who think that France has now an opportunity coming into 2020 to show a, a decent level of economic performance. So... My question would be, is this rear view mirror gazing for SockGen? Some of this down to restructuring and Sunny Uplands, if you can use that term in terms of uh, uh, the outlook for European business, is it going to be better next year? We talk about the US markets more than we talk about the CAC or the DAX. And naturally, because yeah. our, our investor base, our viewer base wants to look at the US markets as a, a, a barometer for where they go in Europe. But let me just look at Europe briefly for a moment. You've got the CAC Courant yesterday trading at its highest level since 2007, yeah? Mm. Highest level since 2007 on the CAC. It is up 31% from its pre-Brexit levels. It is up 23.6% this year. You've got a very healthy dividend yield of 3.13 on the CAC, yeah? So the market, I think I can say, in the absolute, has gone up aggressively. You've got OATs, which have gone up aggressively, yeah? So why? Why is their performance being so blighted? Why is the third quarter return on equity down to 5.3% from 9.3%? You've got unemployment falling in France as well. You've got a steady economic performance rather than anything stellar as well. But why is revenue for the French retail unit now seen between zero and minus 1% for the year mm. if things are so ebullient on the French bond market, so ebullient on the French equity market. And of course, they aren't just exposed to France, they're a pan-European financial institution as well. Mm. So why is profitability so bad compared with their US peers when markets have gone in the same direction and pretty much the same performance as mm. their US peers as well? And I'll just add, the market has priced this one perhaps to perfection, perhaps too harshly. Mm. Trades on 0.4 price to book going forward. Yeah. The trouble is you could ask that question of every bank in Europe at this point. Why is it 10 years after Absolutely. the financial crisis we still have these kind of performance figures mm. compared to the man we just mentioned in our headlines, mm. Jamie Dimon? Mm. Um, it feels like an existential question, doesn't it? Because we're waiting for an answer to this. But I will just reiterate the point. There was a, uh, a clear sentiment shift in September around European equities and it feels as though there is a shift going on into European assets in anticipation of a, an improvement on the underlying. Now, whether to which I would say to you, so what? So what? So because what? if the market well, has gone up, yeah. regardless, and their ROE has sighed from 9.3 to 5 point something or other, yes. and the market thinks they're yes. only worth 40% of the asset base that they say they're worth as well, yes. so what if the market goes up 5% in... November, December. Yes, but is, is this, as I say, this is the third quarter. This is a reflection of history. This is the history. This is not what the market is currently trying to do, which is to discount the, the, the opportunity going forward in equity markets. Now, whether this turns out to be another false dawn for European equity assets remains to be seen here. But you know... For the global investing audience, there is a rotation going on as they think about the relative opportunity as against the United Sorry. States and the valuation in the Let United States. Let me just States. go back a stage. What oh. I'm saying to you is it doesn't matter where the underlying asset is going. Mm. These financial institutions are struggling aggressively with profitability. 
they are, but it does matter because if you think the banking sector is ultimately the oil in the engine, if it reflects the underlying performance of economic activity in the Eurozone, then the banking system should do better. And I know we're going to talk about Olaf Scholz's point um, in that FT piece oh, a little later yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is interesting how much he's focused on the dysfunction in the financial system in Europe. And he's suggesting the transmission mechanism has not been working effectively to support economic activity. Now, the question that the market is asking at this point is, are we actually going to see a pickup in economic activity that begins to justify the rotation into European assets, including the banks. It's US repo markets or European transmission mechanisms. It's about the plumbing. And when people get worried about the... What? Is it? Yes, it is. Of course. Do you think the... Well, this is a big... We talk about existential questions. Have there been a problem with the plumbing and where we've been putting the stopcocks and the washer seals and all that on the plumbing of the European financial system? And you know there is a problem with that. You know we're overbanked. You know we've got too many unprofitable banks as well. And yet the ECB has had one route in because they're the only ones who've had a route in. Coming up on the programme, um, we've got to move on. Yeah, I'm being told by have. the director that we don't have time a to, bit, to talk blimey. more about your stopcock. But <laughs> anyway, coming up on the programme, we will speak to SockGen CEO uh, Frederick Udea. We'll have that at 7.15 Central European time. So about term five stop- minutes away. Yeah, I wonder if the term stopcock works for our international audience. Mm-hmm. Is it the same part of the plumbing? Uh, right, SoftBank, unrealised loss on valuation of investments net of £537.9 billion from investments held at the end of the second quarter. Um, safe to say they've had an operating loss, as uh, Jeff read, well, we read in the headlines, £15.5 billion yen versus a profit last time round of £1.42 trillion. Yen. Uh, valuation loss of £374.7 billion yen recorded for the investment in WeWork held by a wholly owned subsidiary of the company. Well, we knew it was WeWork, didn't we? Uh, total investment amount by companies, wholly owned subsidiary and SoftBank Vision Fund was $10.3 billion in WeWork. So that was the total investment, including an unexecuted commitment of $1.5 billion held by the wholly owned subsidiary. So WeWork dragging SoftBank down into negative territory. Yeah, and what was the? Um, what, what did we decide? I remember we talked a, a bit earlier in the week about what made WeWork different from other companies that lease office space on a temporary basis. Um, is it the uh, IT at the front end? Is it the exciting digital aspect of how you book that office space? Did that prop up valuations early on? Is it the table tennis or the opportunity to play darts but at you your workspace? You said it's the non-motorway coffee, I think you added in there yeah. as well. Or, or yep. was it just a beautifully regilded package of something that's been sold to businesses for the last 500 years? We will take a quick break at this point. Uh, did I remind you uh, enough that we're going to hear from the SockGen CEO, Frederic Udea? Uh, the French lender says it is confident it can deliver on its full-year targets despite a, quote, challenging environment. We'll hear that interview in just a moment. Oh, and if you just can't get enough of Scorebox, be sure to tune into our very own podcast. Head to cnbc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast to have a listen, download today's episode. And for our listeners, stick around for more. And our viewers... A CNBC signature event. 
East Tech West. CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nanshao, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. Welcome back, everybody. You're watching Sportbox. Let's get into uh, the SockGen story and give you a little bit more detail here. SockGen has reported declines in both net profit and revenue for the third quarter, but it posted an increase in its key CET1 ratio. So capital levels fine, capital buffers firm here, but clearly disappointing numbers at a headline level from the trading and investment operations. The French bank also saying it is confident that it can hit its full-year targets despite a, quote, challenging environment for European banks at this stage. And as we were discussing just before the break, it's been a difficult period for the European banking sector. Uh, but at this stage, uh, SOCGEN, as we say, disappointing headline numbers. Let's hear what Frederick Udea has to say about the figures. Overall, I think we are posting uh, performances very much in line with our objectives and priorities. Our priority number one is around capital. You know, this is the, the core focus of our shareholders. The great satisfaction is that we have a core tier one, which stands at 12.5%, strong increase compared with end of June, close to 50 basis point increase, including the provisioning of our dividend, 165 euro per share in cash, so three quarters of 2.2 euros per share. It's something exactly in line with what we've said. Beyond, in terms of uh, businesses, also uh, performances in line with our objectives. French retail revenues, costs, absolutely uh, consistent with our guidance. Uh, IBFS, International Retail Financial Services, posting still good growth, good profitability, nothing to report. And on the GPIS, we are in the middle of a restructuring, which is going, going smoothly. We have actually achieved the restructuring in terms of capital usage and allocation ahead of our time frame. We have, of course, in terms of revenues, the reduction related to the restructuring, uh, which is, has taken place. And on the cost, things are going fine. We are not yet benefiting from the savings. It will be uh, end of this year and, of course, next year. But everything is going uh, exactly in line with our milestones. So uh, I, I'm very happy with the, the delivery. Costs are going down, uh, strong discipline on the cost, cost of risk remaining low and stable. So all in all, I think a, a good performance and a resident profitability of 8% for the first nine months. I think it's not so bad in, in an environment which is remaining, as we all know, challenging for European banks. Sylvia, so let's uh, pick up with you in Paris. Uh, fascinating comments, I think, in that interview. But let's just reinforce the point that Steve was making. We are a decade on from the financial crisis and we are still apparently talking about restructuring in a key European bank and disappointing headline numbers. Um, do you feel that we're getting sufficient reassurance from management that this is as bad as it gets and we are really moving forward with this business? 
Well, when it comes to Société Générale, if you look at uh, the, what market, the market expectations were prior to these third quarter results, we see that revenues came more or less in line with expectations. But when it comes to net income, this came slightly below what analysts had forecast. So when it comes to net income, the Société Générale reported 854 million euros compared to an expectation of 863 million euros. And that's according to the data collection by Refinitiv. But we know that the focus for Société Générale has been for a very long time on capital. And when it comes to that, they did deliver a CET1 ratio of 12.5%. This was the second quarter, consecutive quarter, that Société Générale reported a CET1 ratio of 12%. This was a name that they had for 2020. So they managed to achieve that earlier on. But I asked Frédéric Odia, the CEO, yesterday whether they they had any plans to revise CET1 ratio upwards going in 2020 but he said no that that's not part of their plans as of yet and when you look at global banking it's clear as you guys mentioned that investment banking is still a weak spot in Europe you see that when it comes to Societe Generale for instance net income in this division is down more than 26% from a year ago and one of the reasons behind that to drop, according to the CEO, is that the bank has not managed to rip all the benefits from certain cost-cutting measures. Let's not forget that they have been uh, selling some units, for instance, in Poland, in Belgium, at the start of this year. But according to the CEO, Frédéric Odea, that has not translated into the balance sheet yet. But the benefits of that should come in late 2019 and in 2020. So that's something to watch out in the next quarters. But all in all, let's not forget that uh, Société Générale shares are down 18% from a year ago. Let's see how markets will react to these latest figures when they open in about two hours' time. Excellent. Thank you so much, Sylvia, for that. Let's take a look at these U.S. markets now. And very interesting to see that the big rally that we've seen over the last couple of days that has taken us to new record levels, well, it kind of ran out of steam a little bit, certainly on the S&P, which failed to register a new intraday high in the previous session. But again, this is what I love about these markets. If I get big moves on the outside, I can say, wow, look at this. This is extraordinary. In fact, even here, I can tell you about record levels on the Nasdaq and the Dow. But then I go into the, the plumbing, so to speak. We're talking a lot about the plumbing of the market, the individual constituents, which is getting us all over the place. And there are so many brilliant stories coming out of this session yesterday, not least the fact that we saw very interesting and divergent services sector ISM data, um, non-manufacturing and indeed different PMIs. So the actual um, uh, ISM data was relatively robust. The PMIs were were pretty weak. So again, a contradiction in those two what are seen to be forward-looking pieces of data. But also what I thought was fascinating is the individual stocks, one of which we talked a lot about yesterday, that's Uber, horrendous session. Shake Shack, again, we've been talking about these franchises in the States uh, and how they can be rolled out. Well, there's a few teething problems there at Shake Shack. Their shares fall aggressively yesterday. And on the other side of the equation, Walgreens. I mean, what is going on there? Is there going to be a, a takeout by Mr. Messina, the man who, who basically put in uh, a very, very, uh, Messina, actually, I should say, very huge um, uh, build-up of this amalgamated uh, pharmaceutical healthcare company over many years, and now is he going to take it off the public markets? 
Fascinating. People are talking about a $70 billion deal there as well. Let's move on to the commodity space as well. Lots going on there. We did see WTI and crude leading energy stocks higher in the session, but today they're giving back a little bit of ground, five-tenths of 1% high. Is that because we're not seeing any more news on the trade front? That was one of the issues why the market didn't make a, uh, much of a rally yesterday. And gold. That was a really interesting move yesterday. People taking money off the table on gold had one of its worst sessions in the last couple of months, losing about a percent and a half as well. Why? Why? If you're kind of feeling a little bit tired of the broader market, is gold just another risk on asset now? And I'm just chucking that one out there. Why does gold move in the same direction as some of these other products, which are risk on risk? Anyway, yes, we'll come to that a little bit later on. Should we have a look at the Asian markets? Let's do that. Let's have a look, because we saw some great leadership from various indices. Kospi at the early week, Nikkei yesterday. Nikkei's doing all right. It's up two tenths of 1%. But we've got the Shenzhen and the Shanghai Composite moving down by nine tenths and four tenths of 1% respectively as well. A lot of interest, of course, in what's trading on the yuan at the moment, the onshore and the offshore. Look, they've got a six handle now. So the yuan continues to strengthen the dollar giving back a little bit of ground. Again, it's the same story. Hopes about uh, phase one of the deal, this um, diminished idea uh, of getting an all-encompassing deal. That's gone out the window. We're talking about phase one potentially getting closer and closer. European opening calls giving back a little bit of ground. They have had a good run. Four out of five sessions, uh, most of these indices have been on the uptick. But Absolutely fascinating that one of the titans of U.S. banking yes. was in London, and we've been talking to him. Yes, Wilfred uh, caught up with Jamie Dimon. The J.P. Morgan CEO has sounded an upbeat note on key elements of the U.S. economy, but in an exclusive interview with CNBC, he warned macroeconomic risks remain. Uh, housing's in short supply. Credit is quite good. Uh, the business side, you know, business sentiment has dropped dramatically, confidence. CapEx has dropped. And a lot of it is around this kind of these very complex geopolitical issues and in particular trade. And so I think trade has made a lot of CEOs question when they should invest, how they should invest, and slowed it down and probably slowed down the economy a little bit. But that doesn't mean we're going to go into a recession. It just may very well mean a slowdown. Yeah, interesting. Jamie Dimon, I think, has a pretty good track record, actually, of commenting on the market. I recall uh, when we were in Davos listening to his remarks about the the plumbing and some concerns expressed about the experiment in monetary policy that um, is being engaged in and where that ultimately leads us and whether the consequences are um, strange in terms of uh, the outcome for um, asset prices. And here we are, you know, we've, we've, we've had a pretty good nine months, really, in terms of the market action. Just on, the US banks, though? Uh, I'm just talking about markets per se. No, you know, when you look at the headline mean, numbers, we've had a pretty good time. Well, does if that you're mean it's been profitable for the financial institutions? If, if you are long the you market, you know, I'm being a pedant here. By yeah, way. I know, but the S and P is up over twenty percent. The Dow's done nearly twenty percent. Yeah, but that's only the, benefited U.S. banks. Yeah, the Fed has uh, given us three rate cuts and pivoted um, in January. The, the question I think that Jamie Dimon raises in that conversation is quite interesting as we go into twenty twenty. <laughs> Do the markets believe they've dodged a bullet? Do the US banks believe they've dodged a bullet? Do the French banks think they've dodged a bullet? Yeah, yeah you knew exactly where I was going, of course. Yes, Thank you for putting the ball back on the team right. for me. Because look, uh, it doesn't matter where these markets go in some ways. It should be profitable for these guys. If they see volatilities for the downside, they may see extra volume as well. When you mm. get an event, a market event on sterling, for instance, on Brexit, mm. they, they salivate some of these traders because they're seeing big two-way activity. And yet other banks will say, oh my goodness me, we've seen the market down. Investor appetite has disappeared. Um, that has been a real problem. So it's about putting yourself in the most robust position across the side. 
cycle. Guess what? Markets go up, markets go down. Guess what? Economies go from expansion to contraction. This hasn't just been invented. So why, again, going back to my point, and you knew exactly where I was going with this yes. one as well, does Sockgen trade on 0.4 going forward and JP Morgan trades on 1.6 times the asset base? 1.6 times price to book. I'm not here to blow wind up Jamie Dimon and JP Morgan. I'm here to say they put themselves in a more robust position. And why aren't European banks in a more robust position? I'm a great patriot of Europe. Yes. I'm a great patriot of the United Kingdom. Why are our banks so undervalued compared to US banks? Is it something institutional? Is there something about the investor base? Is there something about the, 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 the integration of the sector? Or is it, again, this Olaf Schultz story? Um, All of the above. Absolutely. Well, I think you partially answered the question um, in arguing that Europe is overbanked, um, that we have... Uh, we had a slow response after the financial crisis. I mean, part of the reason why the key large U.S. banks are as strong as they are is that the regulators took a view that they would cull the weak hands in the sector and they would assist the strong to get stronger. And that's benefited banks like or JP Morgan, or, and it's benefited the broader US economy. Or does it come right back down to 1999, creation of the euro, creation of the eurozone, that, and actually we still have 28 countries just about in Europe, and we have one United States, and it's very clear cross federal border, across the state borders, about the legislation and who's doing what. Whereas in Europe, it's a smorgasbord, it's a mess still, isn't it? Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.